Software developers are now sports stars. You know, they can be the defining difference in the future of your company, and they need to be courted, grown, engaged with as such. Welcome to the Work Podcast brought to you by OpenAssembly. I'm John Windsor, and today I'm with Cal Adamson. Cal is the co-founder of Distributed, a private talent cloud platform that has rebuilt enterprise outsourcing to harness modern freelancer developer talent at scale. How are you doing today, Cal? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, John. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's nice to be back. It was so great to have dinner with you in, in London last week. Thanks again for that awesome dinner and you know, just spending the time with us. It was a good thing. Although, you know how it is when you kind of jump back to the States, man, I was getting up at four in the morning all week last week. So it was productive in the morning, but not, not so much in the afternoon. I guess that's part of travel. I've kind of missed it though. That was kind of the first international trip, although going to Mexico and stuff. But, you know, we had a conversation before we had dinner and I just, first of all, so psyched to meet you. Secondly, just so impressed with your background and maybe you could give our listeners a little bit of background of yourself and then jump into like, what were you thinking when you started thinking about distributing? Because I think you have a super unique point of view and how you're going to attack the whole future of work perspective. Yeah, Sure. By the way, it was a pleasure meeting you in person too. But uh, yeah, remote first companies don't suffer from jet lag, I guess. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's one of the benefits that we've not talked about. And so I started off building on the internet by dropping out from university, which is kind of a bit tawdry now that. But I I was doing an engineering degree, fell in love with the internet as it was growing and expanding and becoming very prominent in, in our lives. Put all my stuff in the back of my car and drove down to London and joined a startup. This is uh, kind of about 15, 20 years ago now. We were building content management systems for e-commerce companies and ended up selling the business. Um, I stayed on as PM for two years and then I became a consultant. I became effectively a, a program manager for large digital project deliveries. And I worked across tons of industries, tons of sectors and tons of clients, some big, some small, delivered a part of the London 2012 financial infrastructure uh, helped Auto Trader prepare to go public. Uh, a whole bunch of other clients I worked with. And over about a seven, eight year period, what I saw was um, these companies were, well, they had no option but to move fast, to move at speed, and to move in multiple areas of, of software development, software skill sets to keep pace with the competition, but with their customer demands too. And they were trying to do that with outmoded and outdated talent models. So they could either recruit permanently, they could use an agency or they could use an outsourcer and like all three from where I could see it were, were kind of broken because mm. the talent shortage was just starting to become prevalent. Well, it was just starting to become obvious to me. Talent was taking longer to recruit. It was costing more. They were staying for less time. And there had to be a new way of us utilizing talent on a global scale, right? We connected everybody with the, the internet, but we're still hiring people and working with companies that are in the same postcode as us. Mm. We've already put our, server space and our processing power into the cloud. Why is talent not in the cloud? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is talent right. not in the cloud and being yeah, used exactly. effectively at right. scale? Yeah. I understood top coder, you know, excellence through competition. And I'd saw the emergence of Gigster in like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. So in 2016, I put together an MVP of what distributed was to become, which was a vetted community, effectively a private talent cloud, right? A vetted community of software specialists that I could deploy on demand into my companies that I was working with. And throughout 2016, 2017, 2018, what emerged was distributed. We were, first of all, we we were kind of aimed at SMEs to begin with, right? We understood we didn't solve a huge amount of, of pain for SMEs because 
the scale that SMEs or smaller companies are working at and how when they want to engage open talent and when they want to engage within a talent cloud, it's much better done through a public talent cloud, Upwork, Fiverr, Freelancer, all those sorts of source of companies and marketplaces that are available to them because their problems are one to three people in one skill set, maybe per month at, at the highest level of demand, right? You can do that when you're a smaller company. You can pull three people down from a marketplace. You can vet them personally and you can deploy them in your organization and cycle them out so they can go into the next role. But we got the opportunity to work with a few enterprise companies like Royal Bank of Scotland and MasterCard as we were coming up, you know, late 2018, early 2019. We understood that the community we we curated, our private talent cloud, the breadth of skill sets, the level of seniority, and the speed at which we could deploy them in these these organizations really made a difference. It was a massive, massive pain relief. And when compared to traditional outsourcers, it's faster, it's more cost-effective, the quality of talent was higher, they were more engaged, they had more skin in the game. And that's what we've kind of doubled down on, and that's what we've become. And we're effectively now the number one private talent cloud in the UK serving enterprise. We continue to grow that way. And the underlying thesis, right, the thing that underpins it all is we have to build freelance careers with more benefits than permanent mm-hmm. employment. Right? I agree. We're not looking at talent as a commodity. We're not talking about high volume of talent within our cloud. And we're very much black car service in that respect. And I think that's where a couple of platforms have got it wrong. A couple mm-hmm. of a couple of companies have got it wrong. They've seen, you know, work is now measurable. Therefore, there should be an Uber for software developers. It's mm-hmm. quite the opposite. Software developers are now sports stars. You know, they can yeah. be the defining difference in the future of your company. And they need to be courted, grown, engaged with as such. I love Sorry, that. That was, a, that was a very long answer. No, no, man. I love it. I mean, one of the things that I think is so interesting, what you're doing, two things. One is that you focused on this private talent cloud instead of public, because I think that's one of the issues. And I, I see naturally what's happened. It's like you need to start in the, at the bottom sometimes. And so you, you build these self-serve platforms. And so the small companies start and the mid, medium-sized companies get it going, but it doesn't meet the needs of the enterprise. And, 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 that, and that idea between the public talent cloud and the private talent cloud of being able to lock it down, it feels like it then becomes more of a vendor relationship where they trust you, they just trust distributed to deliver the quality, to deliver the ability to get things done, almost like they hire an outsourcer or hire a contingent workforce firm, right? The burden of quality goes on to you and not just like, oh, who did I pick up on a platform today and and I I hope that they'll perform for me. Yeah, it it does. And that's very much that's our brand, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is is quality and experience levels. Like right. we've we've all of the technology like core IP and systems that we built internally to make this work on behalf of talent and on behalf of the enterprise. It's all focused on developer experience and customer experience. Mm-hmm. We're a remote first company, we're a platform first company. Therefore, I guess we have the benefit and the hindrance of everything being done remote, everything being done on platform and everything being done with technology. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen the emergence and the growth of private talent clouds. You know, Upwork have a private cloud now, Turing, TopTal. There's yeah. lots of lots of these um, traditional marketplaces now have private talent clouds in there. You've seen the emergence and the growth of, of private talent clouds because that talent shortage in the enterprise is really starting to hurt. When you look at traditional outsourcers, they still work predominantly from local talent sources, 
Mm-hmm. They're not working from a globally distributed talent pool. So they're now feeling the pain and that pain is being passed on to their customers mm-hmm. who are looking for alternate ways of, I guess, composing their workforce. Hence the rise of the private talent cloud. Suit for yeah. enterprise, high quality, super engaged, pre-vetted. There's oversight from the intermediary, i.e. distributed. It, it really is. It's it's the right piece for the jigsaw puzzle now. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it kind of harkens back to Bill Joy's law, right? You know, no matter who you are, you can't hire the best talent. And yeah. I think that's the reality, right? Like, the, you know, good talent's hard to find. And I also love that focus that you've had in our conversations on the talent themselves, the growing the talent, making sure that it's a viable career. I mean, I think that's where we, we are at CTW, you know, Center for the Transformation of Work. We know from the research that 75% of the freelance market globally is is still side gigs and it's just not there yet. You know, it's not there yet from a, a volume of projects, but it's also not there yet from the kind of safety net infrastructure that freelancers need. You know, a lot of people, at least in the U.S., granted, the U.S. has a much more difficult insurance burden for the individual. But still, I, I several people that I know just stay, stick in shitty jobs because they have the infrastructure, right? They've, they've got the retirement plan. They've got the insurance. They've got two young kids. No matter how good you are, you're like, I, you know, do I really want to take the risk of getting shittier insurance and, and, and doing all those things, right? And it's just hard. So I love your focus on how do you make this more into a career. Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about how you do that and what you're doing to make sure that the freelancers in your community it sounds like it's tough to get in, but then once you're in, there's all these, there's a lot of benefits that they get that kind of feel yeah, like a full-time employment. It's not easy to get in. You need to have a bit of experience. You need to be good at what you do, but we don't throw four hours of testing at you without the promise of any sort of, of work on the back end, right? We call it progressive immersion. So right. uh, you let us know a little bit about you when we have, actually, let me rotate into what's important to our yeah, yeah. So when I say freelance careers with more benefits than permanent employment, I I really mean that, right? So you have to look at what's super, super important to contractors in order of magnitude. So the first one is, is get me paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Get get me paid and give me that predictability over my income for as long as you're able to one year, two years, three years out. Mm -hmm. If I can, if I can plan as a contractor and I've been one, if I can plan where my income's coming from for the next three years, Mm -hmm. it's, I would argue that's already better than permanent employment, right? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to have a lot of variety of work. I'm going to get to plan my personal life. Then when you look when you look above that, you're like, okay, now I only want what's the next important thing. I only want to work with teams that I gel with, that I really enjoy working with, um, and that make me happy to, to show up every day and commit to. So when you have a private talent cloud, you can make sure that the personalities, the problem solving, the coding ability, the communication, the, the mission alignment is all there so that they're only onboarded onto teams that they really enjoy working with. Mm-hmm. One of the huge bugbears of freelancers globally is, especially if you're a senior software developer, you get pulled off a marketplace and parachuted into a junior team and you're asked to raise everybody's level up. So you're asked to teach and lead and plan and manage the account all on your own, right? Because you're senior and you're at like a thousand dollar a day, day rate. Mm-hmm. Horrible experience. So we remove that. The next one above is like, I don't want to do account management. I don't want to do all the documentation and program planning and an admin associated with it. Absolutely fine. There are specialists on the distributed platform that do that for you. You see how we're really setting them up to be sports stars, right? You're yeah, there yeah. To, to score the goal, to make the pass, to make the play. Go above that even further, right? I want to be able to grow my own career. That's my own skill sets, my own network. 
my own capabilities and problem solving and communication and empathy. And like, I want to be a complete person. So we bring that to bear on platform. Mm. Next level above that, I want the ability to be mentored, but also to mentor. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more rewarding, especially to these, like they're highly talented knowledge workers, right? Mm -hmm. They love to teach and they love to learn. Let's start offering them that again. We're going up up the, the level of needs. Then there's, Pay me on the same payment schedule as a permanent employee. Why am I waiting 90 days for you to clear exactly, my invoice? Exactly. Right. Horrible. And then we go above that. Okay, let's let's look at proper healthcare, privatized healthcare. That's maybe the cost is shared. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's an option that you take 100% of it. But when we buy or we negotiate at scale, it's the same impact as if you were a permanent employee. And then we look at pension planning, financial advice. And we'll, we'll have done this all by the end of this year, right? We That's will be great. able to credibly hold up in front of our freelancers and say, this is what you get as an Elastic team member. This is what a regular permanent job gives you. And we will have more weight on this side. When you bring that to market, why would you not want to be a freelancer? Yeah. Right? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's all of the control over your career, who you work for, who you work with, everything but with all the flexibility of being a freelancer, of deciding when you work, who you work for, who you work with, all that sort of stuff. We just need to architect it in a way where that becomes true, right? Yeah. Like, it makes sense. The stuff yeah, I've just yeah. said, it, it's common sense, right? If you yeah, can yeah. offer that to, to freelancers, freelancing becomes the default career choice, yeah. which it will be. Yeah. No, I love it. I, I love the term that you've been using for a while is elastic workforce. It's just so important, right? for companies to go from a fixed cost to a variable cost and not have that holding cost of things. One of the things that I found interesting in the conversations we had, I think one of the big things that are missing, I mean, you you talked about it here in the context of new business for freelancers, but I thought it was super interesting when we had dinner that you were talking about like, hey, you want to do something in September, but you're going to take a few months off to go spend the summer with your kids. We'll be able to guarantee you that job in September to get going so that it's more the predictability of income that's super important, right? To, to, To have the advantage of being a freelancer, but also the predictability of income from you know, and predictability of work that you, you get with a full-time gig. Well, this is our job to do, especially, and it's the reason we chose to, to focus solely on enterprise contracts, right? We can sign longer contracts, at higher contract values across a wider array of software skill sets than we could if we were just working with SMEs. Right. For instance, we made we made history with the BT deal, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's the largest ever open talent deal done in the enterprise. It's 30 million contract value. What that gives us the ability to do is put on platform and say, okay, there you go. There's there's 36 months worth of income guaranteed across all these different skill sets. Mm-hmm. But remember, within BT, you could be working on core infrastructure or drone superhighways, or you could be working on connected care in the home. Mm-hmm. It's not just telecommunications. There's like a thousand products within BT. They're a whole, like a highly digitally focused organization. Mm-hmm. And when you get that level of income predictability, it really, really starts to become compelling for a freelancer because you know, okay, I'm going to be on the connected care project from July through to September. I'm going to take a month off, go surfing, go see my family, et cetera. And then I'm going to be working on drone super highways from December through to March. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's ideal. Yeah. You can only do that when you're an enterprise offering. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that scale, that length of, I guess, strategic roadmap yeah. uh, to be able to offer it to your private talent club. Yeah, I love that. It feels like one of the things that's got to be a challenge, and I know it's a challenge for us as well, is to get 
enterprises to start thinking in a new way, right? Shift that mindset from not just from fixed to variable cost labor to look at labor in, in a new or talent in a new way, but also to start taskifying the work, right? And to set a, instead of saying, I'm going to hire a VP of AI and let them figure out the plan. It's like, no, let's put together the, you know, a crowd of people create the plan, what what needs to happen for us to develop a strategic plan with AI and what are the 10 tasks that need to happen and who are the 10 best people that can do that, right? That kind of taskification seems to me an important part of the process. It is, you're talking about like early MVP to mid-stage MVP, like new product stuff for in the enterprise? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think when you have longer term things, they're they're more defined roles because you just know what you need. You've got the infrastructure set up on that product, and you can plug and play roles instead of instead of you know and you can, tasks. You can taskify easier, right? Mm-hmm. So, like as as open talent grows in the enterprise, we're going to get better supply and demand side. We're both we're all going to get better at taskifying work. Yep fairly easy and fairly known to taskify the work that in the space that we play in, which is late stage MVP to growing core products, right. um, not even to maintaining products, right? We feel like that's the place for traditional consultancies and outsourcers and all that sort of stuff, right? where you want super low cost talent on it because it's very, very well understood. So you can get more junior talent. You don't mm-hmm. need highly skilled talent. In that earlier stage, let's talk about the, the AI project. Yeah, uh, so we have an AI goal. We have stuff that we want to get done with machine learning uh, that yep. we think could be super powerful. Assembling and deploying that team, and then taskifying the work associated with it. I would say it's just being understood how to do it in the very yep. best at the moment. But as that grows, that's more opportunity for cloud talent, for open right. talent, right? Especially highly talented, highly skilled open talent. That's the place where they're going to want to play. And the more where, like CTW, the more where. Open assembly and sorcery, all these other businesses that work in that space of preparing companies to engage open talent at scale. Mm-hmm. That needs to be, I would that would be my one piece of advice to every enterprise organization on earth is find the people that can help you draw your roadmap yeah. and lean into it because the competitive edge is only going to exist for probably another three years. Now is nice. the time to use it, right? Yeah. No, totally. Really, like we know, we know for a fact there's an entire division in Google that will not declare that they're using open talent. Uh, exactly. Right. I know. It's such a competitive edge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to the guy who runs it and he's like, yeah. this is like my secret sauce for my career. I'm not even allowing the platform that I work with to tell the other Google team members that I'm using it. I just want to show up every day when goals are put out and for me to be number one, number one, number one. That's it. Right. There there are these companies out there that are like streaming ahead of their competition. And the the not so dirty little secret is open talent. That's how they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. One of the things I'm fascinated about distributed is how do you assemble the teams? Is that something that you guys do or is it self-assembled? I mean, obviously you can kind of taskify the roles and say, here are all the roles, here are the ones you can fit in, but assembling kind of the, you know, cause that's always one of the things I hear in enterprises saying, yeah, it's great. Open talent's great to fill slots on a team, but to build the culture and the cohesiveness of the team, a lot of those companies feel like they need full-time employees. Yeah, we do full teams. So we deploy full teams and we do them under two different engagement types, managed mm-hmm. outcome and monitored outcome. Mm-hmm. Managed outcome means you get the full team. That's everything from business analyst to quality assurance, to technical lead, to program manager, like all the way down the stack to your React and your Java devs and all that sort of stuff. And that team is assembled. So 
there's still human involvement at this yeah. point, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we have customer success teams uh, that work with our customers uh, to talk about the types of work that need to be done, the type of team that needs to be assembled. Mm. And then they'll hop on platform, see which team members are going to be available within the time frame that they want to have this, this work delivered in, whether or not those team members have worked on similar sector or similar vertical deliveries, whether they've worked together with each other, what the scoring was when they worked together. We call it Centaur at the moment. It's like part mm. machine, part person. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're like a, a beast of two halves. Yeah. And you'll assemble a team that scores highly on our, like we have a proprietary scoring metric based on communication, customer feedback, code quality, all the sorts of stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that team will be like um, eight, seven out of 100, solid team to deploy within an organization. So that's how a whole team is assembled is selected and assembled at distributed. For monitored outcome, it's we'll assemble a team and put them under the stewardship of the customer. The only thing that will differ there is that team, when they're being onboarded into customer systems and services, they will actually take part in the same onboarding that the customer puts their own dev teams through. Mm -hmm. So that's like key cultural tenets, ways of working, ways of communicating. Mm -hmm. Um, There may be an internal map to understand how their organization is structured, all that sort of stuff. And that answers that question of, well, everybody wants a permanently onboarded team, a team that understands my organization and what the beating heart of it is. Right. If we bring high quality skin in the game talent through your onboarding process, you get that. You get that. You get yeah. that. All that needs to be done is you just need to expose how you onboard your team members so we can also have that done on platform. Yeah, no, I love it. Hey, let's look ahead. What are you feeling? Where's the world going with talent and open talent and, and where distributed fits in this for the next five to 10 years? Give me the crystal ball, Cal Adamson view uh, of the world. Make the predictions. Make the predictions. So we're never going to live in a world where there's enough software developers to meet demand, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we got about 1.92 million advertised positions today. That will grow by 30% every year, has been for the past three, will be for the next five. Every US and UK university can only graduate 50,000 computer science graduates a year. Mm-hmm. We're never going to live in a world where there's enough talent for everybody to have the talent they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so open talent's going to grow. Both mm-hmm. private and public talent clouds are going to grow. Their adoption within the enterprise will grow. We will see your traditional outsourcers, web pros, your Infosys, your EPAMs, your Cognizant, your all them adopt, acquire, and start to grow and include open talent in their deliveries and their customer engagements, et cetera. You'll see private talent clouds such as distributed, like touring, like Gigster, you'll see them grow and become dominant players in the space over the next mm-hmm. five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Where distributed fit into all that? Again, we will never be 2 million developers strong right? We will be highly vetted, number one developer experience in the market, purely enterprise focused. And that's where we continue to grow. We'll be continue to be extremely selective over our customers, extremely selective over the community that we build and the talent that we deploy into our customers' environments. And you'll probably, as of 2023, 2024, see us in one or two other international countries, potentially not in America though. We think there's a lot more needing built outside of America than needs built inside America. You're probably um, right. Yeah. So the rest of the world is looking particularly attractive to, to us and our talent base. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, give a piece of advice. Like if you were an enterprise buyer, a C-level person, and you're the CTO of a large organization, you know, your team keeps coming to you saying, I'd love to get that done. I can't find any people. And you're know, standing on the edge of thinking about open talent, like give them some advice. Like what would you say to them? 
I just want to do it. Phil Knight, just, just do it. Literally yeah. just do it. Yeah. it. When you think about what it is you're trying to do, you're trying to find highly engaged, highly qualified talent to deploy within your, your organization, right? When you look at the market, the talent that have chosen to take on the pain and the risk of being independent are probably very good at what they do, mm-hmm. right? So if you can engage with them, do so because you will get outweighted results compared to any other way of engaging talent. I love that, man. I love that. I think that's a good place to stop. And it's just such a great time talking to you. And I'm sure this is the first of many conversations on this topic. So I really enjoyed our conversations and just really respect what you're doing, man. It's super cool to see kind of the momentum and your passion for it. So thanks for being on the show and let's continue the conversation soon. Right back at you, John. Thank you so much.